Thank you, Matt. Good to have Matt back from way over on the other side of the world. And um, I, I love to see the enthusiasm that happens in a pastor's heart when they, when they travel like that. It's so, it's so good. To, thank you for sharing, <clears throat> sharing Matt across the world. All right. And I'm glad to be here with you. I've got a question for you today. You guys are way over there. Mark, just kind of have to excuse my back a lot. Dick, excuse my front while I'm over here too. But, uh, <clears throat> I, have, I have a question for you. Do you remember the first movie you watched that made you cry? This is especially for you men. Now I know this is not this is not an easy thing to even have to go back to this in your memory. It's, but the first movie that made you cry. For me, it was, and this kind of dates me a little bit. It was a made-for-TV movie called Brian's Song. You remember the yeah? See, some of you are older than you want to admit. <laughs> it was back in the early '70s, and it 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 involved um, a football story, Gail Sayers, um, who back in the '60s, when he was probably at that time and maybe forever one of the greatest running backs in the history of football. Um, it was one of those times when, when African-American black players were just really kind of taking hold of the NFL. And um, one, of his, one of his teammates was a guy named Brian Piccolo, a white guy, and they became the first interracial roommates in the NFL. Shows you how far back things have gone, how, how different it was back in those days. And not only had neither one of them ever really had a friend of a different race, both of them declared that. Gail Sayers said the first really friend of, the, of, a, of a white man for me was Coach George Hallis. And if you know about George Hallis, that's not a good friend. But, um, and Brian Pickle says, I, I was raised, I, I had no black friends. I, I didn't know anybody that was black. And not only they roomed together, they ended up dearest friends and, and, and loved each other in a way that, that is, is uncommon, the, the bond that they had. Interesting things started to happen. They were rivals at first, and then pretty soon they shared the backfield together until Brian Piccolo was diagnosed with cancer, and he couldn't make it anymore, and he had to sit back and sit out. At the end of the season, Gail Sayers was going to receive an award from the, from the um, sports writers for the most courageous player of that year. And... Um, Gail and his wife had planned to go with Brian and his wife to drive out to New York City, receive the, the award. But by now, the cancer had taken so much effect in Brian's life that he was bedridden. And so Gail Sayers went to receive the award and basically said this. He said, you flatter me with this award. I, I'm honored, but I, I just need you to know that I am delivering this award to Brian Piccolo, that if anybody is the most courageous man this last year, it's Brian Piccolo, dealing with, with cancer and playing and working as hard as he had and now, now working hard for his very life. And I'm going to take this back to him. And then he said these words, almost immortal words now. He said, I love Brian Piccolo. And I would love for you to love Brian Piccolo. And tonight when your knees hit the floor in prayer, would you ask God to love him too? Well, I'm laying on my living room floor watching this. I'm a high school kid, playing high school football, trying to be tough, 
I thought it was a sports movie and it ended up being this. <laughs> and I started sobbing. I started crying, tears coming out my eyes. And my mom and dad are sitting back in the chair. My mom sat in the same chair the whole time. I looked back at her kind of, and she's got tears going down, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. And I look at my dad kind of out of the corner of my eye. He had glasses. I couldn't tell, but I could see a tear kind of in his eye. And I'm going, oh, and I just I can't stop crying. I'm going, oh, no, we're going to. At this time, as a, as a teenage kid, our conversations were like monosyllabic. I, I would just answer in groans and grunts and, and one little syllables for anything. Uh-huh was a full sentence for me. And I'm going, I won't have to talk about this or something with my family if I'm not care. I'm trying to. And it, I was so moved at, at that movie. And I'll tell you why. As I look back on that, for me, I had, I don't think I had ever heard a man tell another man, I love you. I think I've, I barely ever heard a man tell a woman, I love you, in my house. And I was moved by that. And this kind of talks about the season of life that, that our country was in. I know I had never, not only never heard, I had never considered that a black man would tell a white man, I love you, or a white man would tell a black man, I love you. And that moved me. And I, I watched that, and I... Even at that young age, I just went, oh, my goodness. There is power in love, power that moves a heart, power that's bigger and stronger than the differences of our skin or our thoughts or our religion or whatever. There's something about this thing called love. It's powerful. I'll tell you something else that was on my mind when, as I was watching this thing and this thing going on. I don't remember ever seeing my dad cry before that night. Never. I remember my grandma's funeral, and my dad didn't cry. I mean, there was all my cousins and uncles and aunts by the gazillions, and they were all just trying to keep it together and weeping. There's my dad. He's just sitting there. And I, I went to him after. I said, Dad, did, did you cry at, Mom's, at Grandma's funeral? And he, he said, no, I, I was being strong for everyone else. You didn't cry at all? It was, well, a couple days ago, I got a little teary. I went back in the backyard in the Orange Grove, and cried for about a minute, and I was okay from there. Oh, my goodness. Well, what that told me as a young man was men don't cry. And if for some unforeseen reason you do, don't do it in front of anyone else. Don't let anybody see you crying, for Pete's sakes. And now the corner of my eye, not only did I see tears in my dad's eye, I heard him blow his nose. <laughs> I knew he was crying. And again, I thought, oh, my, oh, my, the power of love. There was a little song back in those days, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. There's power in that. There's truth in that. When I was in college, I was acquainted with a little theologian, a little, little skinny little book by a guy named Francis Schaeffer. The book was called The Mark of a Christian. And, and the whole basic premise of the book was, what's the mark of a Christian? What distinguishes us as a follower of Jesus? We'd put it in, in terms today. What's the very mark? And, and he said, it's not symbols, which we usually kind of hang on to symbols. You know, we like little, little crosses around our neck or on our clothes or whatever. And, and those 
kind of things are, are just kind of part of the everyday adornment for Christians and non-Christians alike. But we like to think, well, I'm being bold. I'm wearing my, my cross today. And, or maybe it's a T-shirt that is emblazoned with a scripture or a saying or a coffee mug or um, a bumper sticker. You know, with a little... Have you noticed, though, that not everybody that has a Christian bumper sticker uh, drives like a Christian? But, um, and, and today it's, it's tattoos. Maybe you have a tattoo, you know, Old Testament on one arm, New Testament on the other, or whatever. But he says it's not symbols, even though that makes us feel like we're really doing something that, that distinguishes us as a follower of Christ. He says it's not even the book we carry. Big statement. Not even the book we carry. He says it's not the songs we sing, it's not the doctrine that we believe. The number one mark of a Christian is that we love one another. The very distinguishing mark of following Jesus is that we love one another because there's power in love. It melts hearts. It transforms life. Well, you say, well, no, I think the number one Mark of a Christian is being transformed and being changed. Well, okay, what's that look like for you? It ought to have an impact somehow on how we treat one another, how we love one another. We're in the book of John. John, like any of the other Gospels, is from the beginning of Jesus' life, the birth of Jesus, to basically the ascension that takes up in the book of Acts. For the book of John, it's pre-birth of Jesus all the way through his life. Hopefully you're following along in a little journal and, and keeping up with, with this whole thing. We, we've gone through about 12 chapters of it. We come to the 13th chapter. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to me, with me to the 13th chapter. But it, it's been pretty fast-paced in Jesus' life. And it's seven signs or seven miracles that constantly point to him as the Son of God. started out at the wedding of Canaan when he changed the water into wine. And you go, whoa, there's something different about this guy. And, Sign after sign after sign. Till last week, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And you're going, whoa, who is this guy? No one else does that kind of thing. This is the son of God. And then he gives us splashes of his name over and over and over. I am. I am, that I, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the doorkeeper. I, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and life. And you're going, this is God. This is God. And boom, 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 boom. It just hits you. And then all of a sudden, it just slows down. It's like the boat engine goes off, and in the water, it just settles. And from the middle of chapter 12 to the end of the book, chapter 21, about the last week and a half of Jesus' life is covered. And when you get into the 13th chapter, it goes into one night. One night. Chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, 16, 17. One night called the Upper Room Discourse. It's one of the longest and largest pieces of Jesus' teaching in all the New Testament. And it just slows down enough to tell you, hey, listen up. It's getting real now. You've heard about the Son of God. You've seen his name. You know all about him. What do you do with this now? And he pulls his disciples together and just basically saying, it's close now. I've only got a few short hours with you. I want you to listen up because what I want you to know is some of the most important things that I want to emphasize because when I'm gone, you've got to hang on to this. And when I'm gone, people are going to go, what happened to him? What about his followers? And I want them to see what, what my followers are carrying on so the kingdom of God advances and this world comes to a point of reconciliation and redemption. So if you have your Bibles in chapter 13, verse 1, 
It says this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that his time had come. Time for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Goes up in the upper room with his disciples, about to break the bread and have communion. He's shown all this love to the world, and now in the most heavy, intimate, passionate moments, the, the men that he's invested his life in, he wants them now to see not only that he loves them, he wants to unveil to them the full extent of his love. Why? Because there's power in love. The little Greek term there is ice telos, to the end. It's like to the uttermost end, to the end of the end, to the eternal end, to the, 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 the very end of the end. The, you can't go any farther. That's, that's how far this love is poured out, this full extent of love. To the end, it, it's like a quantitative statement and it's a qualitative statement. It's, it's to the very end. That's, it's, it's like if we got in an argument about who loves each other the most, I might say to you, I love you, and you would say, well, I love you more. And I would say, well, I love you to the moon and back. Well, I love you to Mars and back. Well, I love you to Pluto and back. Jesus would say, I love you to eternity and beyond. You're never going to plumb the depths of my love. You're never going to see it all. You're never going to get to the end of it. It never runs short. It never stops. That's how long and how far and deep my love is for you. And not only is it quantitative, it's qualitative. It's, it's to the uttermost. It's, it's all the love of God. Every, every bit of the love of God that you can, that you can um, pull together in God the Father and place in God the Son through Jesus Christ, and then he's like one big, huge punch of the full extent of Jesus. Can you imagine being in a room and the love of God to the fullest is just unleashed upon you? Holy cow. What do you do with that? What did it look like? What did it feel like? No one has ever experienced the love of God quite like this. The full extent. Well, there's some interesting teaching that goes all the way through, starting at this moment, and goes all the way to the fullest extent of, that, of showing that love at the cross that comes in a few more chapters. But just when you think, how do you, how do you quantify that? Jesus, unannounced, gets up, takes off his outer, outer robe, walks to a basin of water, a, a basin, pours water into it, and then he goes around the room to his 12 disciples, and he washes the feet of every one of them. Somebody needed to do it. There was no servant. And he stepped up with the fullest extent of his love. Washed their feet. He looked in the eyes of one of them who, in just a few hours, would betray him. Hand him over to the authorities. And he washed his feet with the fullest extent of his love. He went to another one who would promise, no matter what, I will follow you. I will be with you. No one will ever separate me from you. You can depend on me. And a couple hours later, in front of junior high girls, he was denying Christ. And Jesus washed his feet. 
Another guy in a couple days was doubting him and questioning whether this was all for real or not. In fact, every one of those disciples around that table, pretty much on the day when he needed them the most, took off and ran. Some of them slept through the crisis time. Some of them just ran and got out of the way because they were in danger themselves. And he washes their feet, the fullest extent of his love. When he's done, he comes back, puts his outer garment back on, lounges at the table with them and says, you guys understand what just went on? They're going. He goes, you, you call me teacher and Lord, and, and that's what I am. Now, if I'm your teacher and Lord, we've gone through all the seven signs and seven miracles, all the names. You know I'm the son of God. You know I'm the teacher. If I, the teacher and Lord, wash your feet, then you ought to also, hang on just a second, because you know the end of the story. You know how to fill in the blank. You've heard this enough. Then you ought to, but if you're sitting around that table, you're going, yeah, I ought to wash Jesus' feet is what I ought to do. If he washed mine, yeah, I, I, I missed it again. Here's these disciples going, oh, I am so dense, good grief. Just a couple days ago, Mary's house, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house, after Lazarus is raised from the dead, they have this big dinner table celebrating what just went on. Lazarus was dead, he's alive. People wanted to come and touch him and all that kind of stuff. They have this big dinner. There's Martha. Martha's serving away. That's what Martha does. Serve, 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 serve. And here's Mary, and Mary walks in with this perfume jar with a pint of the most expensive perfume you could find. Probably more expensive than a year's worth of salary. And she breaks it. And she anoints his feet. The fragrance fills the room. And she takes her hair and undoes it and dries his feet with her hair. And the disciples are going, this is awkward. <laughs> and Judas is going, you know how much that cost? Who, who is this lady? If she would have given that to us, I could have exchanged that. Thing. We could have fed we could have fed poor people for months and months and months. Do you know what kind of waste? And they're just gone. And Jesus finally just says, would you hang on? Would you just hang on a second? Hang on. I'm about to leave you guys. You're going to have poor people for a long time. I think you should do everything you can to, to meet their needs. But, but would, you just, would you just take a moment and be in this moment? And Lazarus was dead and he's alive now. Do you get that? Do you get that I'm, I'm going to raise all of you guys? Do you get, we've gone all the, I'm the son of God. Do you get that? Mary's worshiping. There's nothing greater than just, to work. and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure now the disciples are flipping back to that and they're going, Mary, Mary, that was a good thing. Jesus really liked that. I could have washed Jesus' feet. Oh, I could have been the one, probably put me in the Bible and they would talk about, here, you know, washing it. Oh, so I can't believe it. And, and Jesus doesn't fill it up with, yeah, you ought to wash my feet. You ought to love me more. You ought to be more committed to me. You ought to be more dedicated to me. You ought to go to church more. What? No, he just says, if I wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I can just imagine their, their expression. They're going, you know, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I can't wait. Jesus is going to let me wash his feet. I don't know. No, one another. It's like, 
I'll let you do that. Never mind. I'm not going there. Boom. And then he gives a scripture in verse 34 and 35 that I want to just let you, let's sink in on you for just a moment. Verse 34 says, out of the context of this whole thing, a new command I give you. Love one another. (laughs) A new command I give you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Love one another. Heard that. I thought it was going to be new. Yeah, love one another. As I love you, he says, you're to love one another. Same way I love you, you love one another. In fact, the distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus, they'll know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Well, how's that new? I mean, we've heard about love all the time, Jesus. What, how's, that, how's that new? Well, it's not love me more, it's love one another. Well, yeah, we, what's new in this way? It hasn't sunk in yet, evidently. You still, you still ain't got it. You came up here arguing with one another the whole time. There's competition between the two of you. There's precedence and who's, who's got the most prestige and who sits in one chair and the other chair, my right hand, my left hand, who mama loves more than the other one. I'm, I just can't believe I've gone for three years talking to you about love one another. You still don't get it. No wonder you won't wash one another's feet. You don't get it. Let me give you a new command then. Love one another. Can you let that sink in? Because if you don't let it sink in tonight, you're just not going to get it. It's a new commandment, I think, because religion in those days was more about rules, legalism. I mean, the Jewish religion especially, the tone of the Jewish religion was all about the Pharisees. And they were pretty judgmental and self-righteous and and, uh, scorned people if you're different, if you're an outsider, if you were a sinner. They they were a sinner, they had to go clean themselves up ceremonially if you just touched them. All these laws, there was like 611 laws already that they had to ascribe to and, and keep. 611. To put that in perspective, you don't do real well with 10. <laughs> 611. And now they give them another one. 612. And this is the most important one. Wow. You mean it's not about all the laws, it's more about... Love. And then it's a new commandment because Jesus takes love to a different level. He takes it to a a level it's never been before. Rabbis don't, don't wash people's feet. Gods don't lay their life down for people. In fact, a little bit later in the next couple chapters, he just says, there's no greater love in all the earth, in all the world, than to lay your life down for your brother. Gods don't do that. But Jesus did. He took it to a different level. And the level, the, the barometer of that love is as I love you, in the same way I love you, love one another. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the barometer. I'm the, I'm the plumb line on that. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the way you grade how your love is. The same way I love you, love one another. And then it's a new command because there's a new capacity to love that's never there before. And then chapter 14 and chapter 16, he talks about the, the Holy Spirit that lives within us, that loves through us, that changes us from the inside out, that allows his love to flow through us to others. Never had the capacity to love like Jesus before, but now with the Holy Spirit, you will. It's new. But I want you just to hang with me just a, a minute on, on the level of, 
of love that Jesus brings up because we're all there. We, I mean, love's not a new thing to earth. Everybody knows what love is, but there's a difference between pre-Jesus love and post-Jesus love. There's a difference between what love is without Jesus and what love is with Jesus. Love without Jesus is very emotional. I mean, we, we've all been there. It's, it's, it's what makes me feel good. I love things that make me feel good. I love people that make me feel good, that, that reciprocate, that that love, I, if there's something in it for me, kind of love, love. I love all kinds. And love just kind of, I love tacos. I love baseball. Love the Dodgers. Don't judge me. I love the Dodgers. Talking about teams, I just wanted to say that. I, I love, I'd name my dog Dodger. That's, that's how much I love them. I don't love Arizona sports team anymore. I quit loving them. I ain't going to love them anymore. They lose in the first rack, bracket. Destroy my bracket. Both of them, they just, I'm not, I'm not rooting for it. I don't care what area, I'm, unless they start winning, then I'll love them again, but I'm not loving them for now. I'm, I love you. I love most of you, kind of. Learning to. I love, I love my wife. In fact, I fell in love. Talk about emotion. I fell in love with Lori. I, I couldn't control myself. Head over heels. And here's the really weird thing. She fell in love with me. She did. And I can tell you the day it happened, the day I recognized it at least. We were up in a, in a church. I was a youth pastor up in Washington. We had a church picnic, and we played volleyball every one of our church picnics. And, and uh, most of them were, were teenagers, but there would be some of the adults that would play. And there was one guy named Milo Bowder. He was a big developer in the area. And uh, he loved volleyball. Talk about love. He loved volleyball. And every church picnic, he wanted to be with me because I was tall, and, and he wanted to win. He never wanted to play volleyball if he didn't win. So he'd say, Don, you find the best ones out there for our team, the teenagers, and we'll, we'll beat them. And, and so Lori and I were just kind of getting together, and I, I had Lori. Lori, Lori wasn't bad. She wasn't bad volleyball player. So I, I had her, and she'd stand there next to me. We are playing volleyball for a while and going back and forth. And all of a sudden, the ball came right to Lori. And it went, hit the ground. I look at Lori. I'm thinking, all you do is like put your hands up there, you know, make it something. Not. And Milo looks at me like, do we need to get rid of her? Because this is this is not the quality that I'm I'm used to on our team. And uh, and all of a sudden it's like, Don, she was looking at you. And they started laughing. Oh, she was looking. She was looking at you. And I'm going, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And Milo Bowder looks at me and he goes, no. She was looking at you. She was looking at you. And then he looked at me and he said, I think she's falling for you. And I went, wow. I think you're right. Can't blame her, actually. <laughs> no, I mean, that sounds weird to you, but... I was young once. I had hair. I, I didn't weigh as much. I, was, I, I, could, I could even be charming for about an hour, hour and a half, two hours at, on, a, on a date. I, I could, she, she, rightfully so, fell for me. That was the day. Emotional love is, is kind of what... But with Jesus, there's a... There's a whole different dynamic that comes 
with love. It's not just emotional. Love becomes a choice. Love becomes a commitment. Love becomes a sacrifice. Love becomes a covenant through thick and thin. About 40 years ago, almost 40 years ago now, Lori and I took a covenant. We signed a contract and we got married for better, for worse, sickness and in health, until death do us part. We had no idea what that meant. We just signed it because we were so in love. We've kind of got a little better perspective of that now. <laughs> you know, about eight years ago, I had an injury that spinal cord so that I found myself, it was almost exactly eight, year, eight years ago, I, I was in a, in a hospital and then a rehab, and my activity was trying to transfer from the bed to a wheelchair, from a wheelchair to another chair, that, and then that was it. I, I was basically paralyzed from my waist down. Through the grace of God and a lot of work, I've, I've gotten a little better than that. But eight years ago when that happened, it turned, it turned my life upside down. And it turned Lori's life upside down. And all our dreams, all our plans, all our golden years of the how we were going to spend them and what it was going to look like, it, it all changed. Physically, the way we exercise, the way we, we go places, emotionally, how I deal with it. Now, I had to deal with that. I could deal with that. It's like, this stinks, but it's a new normal. By golly, I'm going to get through this thing and going to somehow get... But Lori, she didn't sign up for that. That's not... That's not I didn't 40 years ago say, hey, hanging with me about 39 years and you know, 35 years and all of a sudden it's going to go off the cliff and then, you know, you're free from there or whatever. She, she, she's, she's, she became... Not only my wife, my lover, my best friend, all, she became a caretaker. I'm sure she didn't sign up for that. I'm sure she didn't. She's still kind of that way. She cares for me. It never really hit me what, what that meant until a few years ago. I, I've shared my story here a while back, but I, I was sharing at another, one of our sister churches, and a man came up to me afterwards, as a, a number of people did, Hey, praying for you. You know, thanks for sharing that. Uh, and, and he just came right up and real brief, and he just said, "I, I, I want to meet Lori." And I, well, she's she's right over there. Called him over, called Lori over there, and he he looked at her and he just said, "Lori, you're my hero. Thank you, Lori, for doing what you do. Thank you for caring for this guy. Thank you for staying with him." And he looked at both of us and he said. Not even close to what happened to you happened to me a few years ago, and my wife left. Lori, that you stayed is unbelievable. And I, I had to sit back and, wow, I take that for granted. But she's loving, not emotionally, she's loving choice, commitment covenant. She's loving me like Christ loves her. 
She's loving me like Christ would love me. Now, I like to think she still has some emotional attachment to me. I don't ever catch her just staring at me going, he's so dreamy. <laughs> I, I'm sure she does. I just don't, I just don't see that very often. But, but our love is, is different. Our love is so much deeper, so much stronger, because Christ's love has taken over a dynamic that, that frankly, is hard to, hard to handle on our own human strength. Before, before Christ, love is an optional. It's my prerogative. I'll love you if, if I like you, if you don't like you, if you're good to me, if, you, you know, if, you're, if you're good looking or if you, if you have resources. I, I love you, but if, you, you know, if you're mean or I'm, if, you don't, if you're not one of mine kind, whatever. I'm not, that's, that's, but with Christ, love is not optional. Love is essential. It's a command. You know why it's a command? Because that level of loving like Christ is not natural. It's not normal to love that way. The reason you have to say, I'm going to command you to do this, because you wouldn't just automatically love like that. That's, it's too much for us to humanly love. So he says, this is, this is an essential. It will be, if you could love like this, it will be so different that it will be the distinguishing mark of everyone who follows me. They'll know you are my disciple. They'll know you belong to me because you love like no one else loves. That's the kind of love. In fact, Paul would say, if you miss that love, if you miss that kind of love, you missed it. You just missed it. It's all about that. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, I could speak with tongues of men and of angels, all kinds of languages, but I don't have love. It's like just some clanging symbol. Means nothing. I could I could have all knowledge. I could know mysteries. I could be prophetic and know the future. I could know everything there is. I could have more degrees than a thermometer. If I don't have love, nothing. Doesn't matter how much you know about God, about the Bible, whatever. You don't have love. Hmm. Paul says I could have so much faith. Not only I could move mountains, I could remove, I could remove mountains. That's how much faith. No love. Doesn't mean anything. I could, I could give everything I have to the poor. I could help every charity, every nonprofit, everybody that needs. I could, I could help everybody. But if I don't have love, I could, I could offer myself to be burned at the stake. I could be a martyr, but if I don't have love means nothing. And then he says this. Here's what love is. It's patient. It's kind. It's long-suffering. It's not envious. It's not jealous. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It never quits. It never gives up. It never ends. That's love. That's the love of Christ. Naturally, I fail on about every one of those. I am not naturally patient. If you're obnoxious, I'm done with you pretty quick. <laughs> but the love of Christ says, no, be patient. Be patient. Easy to anger, not slow to anger. I easily get anger. Love of Christ is a different standard. Arrogant, rude, I can be all that. Love of Christ says you've got to bring a different dynamic into that relationship. 
Lori, how can you stay with Don? Because love never gives up. Love never fails. Never love, love never stops loving. Jesus loves to the end, to eternity and beyond. And so will I. That's, that's huge love. That's, that's godly love. It's agape love. Only through the Holy Spirit in us that he talks about later. One other thing about love I'll tell you. Um, we think of this kind of love as being extra credit. We think of it as extra credit. Like if I, if I just you know, do the stuff I'm supposed to do, then like loving like that's like for bonus points. You know, maybe more jewelry in my crown or something, but you know, it's, it's extra credit. So it's like, I don't know if, if I really have to do that. And, and John, later on in 1 John, as he's about 90 years old, he just says, you know, if, if you don't love your brother, I don't care what you say about loving God. You don't, if you don't love your brother, your sister, you don't, you don't love God. And I hear people all the time, what can I do? What can I do? A little bit more. I, I'm ready for, I'm, you know, I am sold out for Jesus, man. You tell me what I'm going to, well, what do you do? Well, I go to church, okay? I, how often do you go? I, every, every week, every week well, I, well, once a month. Well, almost once a month. What else can I do? Well, well I, I sing. You sing? Yeah. Uh, if I like it, I'll sing. If it's not too loud, if it's one of my favorites, I'll sing. But yeah, so, so, okay. And what, I, well, I give. You give? Yeah, I give. Oh, boy, I give. Tell me about that. Well, you know, like when he talks about, you know, Pastor Matt talks about Beirut. I, I'll give to that. I've got, I've got $5 burning in my pocket. I'm going to give there and change Beirut with that kind of thing. Uh, oh, oh, okay, yeah, that, that's good. What else can I do? What else can I do? Anything else I can Well, you can serve. Serve? Oh, yeah, I serve. Where do you serve? Well, I haven't served yet because it takes too much time. But if I ever did serve, I... What else can I do? What else can I... Here. You can love unlovely people. You can love your spouse when they don't deserve to be loved. You can love the person next to you who's a stranger even though you're in the same church together. Be loving to them. And most people will go, well, what else, what else is there? I mean, there's like a camp I can go to or something because I'm not there. It's extra credit. And, and John says, no, it's not extra credit. It is the essentials of what love is. Jesus said, if you love one another, they'll know you're my disciples. Can you imagine what it would be like if that really sunk into this church, into your life, into your marriage? Can you imagine what it would be like if I could love you not because you deserve it, if I could love you not even because it's commanded, but I could love you because I know how much Jesus loves me. I know what he did for me. He went to the cross for me. And I want to love you the way he loves me. As we sing another song, you might want to go and take communion and be reminded of the bread that's broken and the body of Jesus that was broken for you and the cup that's poured out, his blood, his new covenant, covenant of love. You may want to go light a candle. Candle's kind of like the Holy Spirit. You might be praying, Holy Spirit, come into me that I might be able to love beyond my own humanity. Or maybe that to light a candle for somebody that you, need, you know you need to love better. You, you know you need to treat them kindly and with patience and without arrogance and rudeness. 
Maybe you had to light a candle for your marriage because your love is about to give up and you know that that's not, that's not what God wants. Maybe you want to just go to the cross and maybe there's a, something blocking you, you to love like Jesus loves. Maybe, maybe you've not yet even asked Jesus into your heart where you can receive the love that he has for you. Maybe it's a person that you want to put on the cross that, that you really feel, God, I need to love this person. Will you give me help? I'm going to put this name of this person I'm praying for that the love of Christ would invade them. Maybe you're here and you need to be loved. One of the greatest ways that we as a church can love you is just to pray for you. And there's some prayer people in the back corner over there that would be glad to do that. There's nothing more powerful than the love of Christ.